riddled with cancer, but determined to see another year pass. Chips Chippendale, his fellow survivor from his days with the long-range desert group during the North Africa campaign, was there, and in fine fettle. Four of Gerald's five children had made it a point of honour to be there with their spouses and children. The party would be lavish. A great part of the prize money had been spent on it. As the days passed, between preparations for Christmas lunch and the birthday bash, Guests came and went like ghosts, now here, now gone again, half glimpsed through a closing door. They brought presents and clamoured for commemorative photographs with their host. The children among them, caught up in the spirit of Christmas and a party whose end was not yet in sight, romped, timidly or brashly, through the crumbling passages and winding stairways of the hall, like the children of Alain Fournier's lost domain. One of the last to arrive was Ethan Usherwood, hot on the heels of his father Guy, Gerald's youngest son. Ethan turned up on Christmas Eve after driving down from Quedgley, just outside Gloucester. Of all the Usherwoods, Ethan lived nearest to Woodmancott, to which he was a regular and welcome visitor. But he worked as a detective chief inspector with Gloucestershire Constabulary, and had only been able to escape in time for the main party by dint of lavish arse-licking, some judicious Christmas presents, and a promise to put in some heavy overtime in January. The homicide case he was working on had gone dead, and he hadn't been in the least unhappy to put it to bed for the Christmas season. "'Sorry, Grandad,' he said as he walked up to Gerald in the Bentham Room, Woodmancott's illustrious central chamber, with its Elizabethan wainscoting and remarkable Grinling Gibbons fireplace. The old room was festooned today with every possible decoration. Ivy, holly, mistletoe, and sprigs of buried juniper hung in swags across the walls, their dark green colours setting off hundreds of golden balls suspended from them. Stockings hung from the mantelpiece. On little tables around the room stood bottles of homemade slow gin, all lovingly laid down by Gerald several months earlier, and ready, as in every year, to bring warmth, cheer, and inebriation to the Christmas festivities. "'Got a mind to put you over my knee and spank you, young man,' Gerald replied. His eyes twinkled. Gerald knew his grandfather was unpredictable. He might have taken his late arrival as an affront. "'It's the same every year, last to turn up, first to leave.' "'A spanking would constitute an assault on a police officer. "'You wouldn't want me to arrest you on Christmas Eve, would you? "'You wouldn't want to be hauled down to the nick, surely?' Gerald cuffed him on the shoulder. He was clearly in a good mood this evening. Ethan smiled back. With a younger man, he'd have hugged him, but not with his grandfather. "'Come with me. Have some slow gin,' said Gerald, grabbing him by the sleeve and steering him to a table on one side of the mantelpiece, right next to the nativity. "'It's better than usual this year,' he went on. "'Bigger berries and weeks early. Longer time to stew. It's got a bite to it.' He poured his grandson a glass and waited to see his response. Ethan took a couple of sips and nodded enthusiastically. "'It is good,' he declared, and took a longer sip. "'Just the thing after the drive. It's freezing outside. "'Didn't I tell you to bring your young woman along, boy?' Ethan imagined a wagging finger and remembered Christmases long ago. "'Why didn't you bring that chum of yours from school? "'Where's your sister? Where's that girl I've heard so much about? "'Where's that wife of yours?' "'Yes,' Ethan thought. "'Where is my sister? "'Where is that wife of mine?' "'A verse of Byron's that had been used in Abbey's funeral service "'drifted through his mind. "'And thou art dead, as young and fair as aught of mortal birth. 
and form so soft and charm so rare, too soon returned to earth. They'd used the same verse at Pauline's funeral years before. His sister had died of leukemia at fifteen, two years his junior. Before her illness she had dazzled everyone in sight. A glorious future had been predicted. All in the grave now, her name chiselled in stone above it. Abigail had been twenty-five when she died. It was eight years ago now. He'd been thirty. Now, almost forty, he could not bear the starkness of mornings or the oncoming of sleep. The thought of her at such times tunnelled through his brain like a worm that had no end. I don't have a young woman, Grandad. Gerald frowned. I'd understood. You understood wrong. Women don't stay long with me. I'm married to my job. They all say that. Man needs a woman, boy. You should know that by now. Even when we...